I'm Malini, and I'll be doing the second reading, which is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Um, you can follow on the Pew Bibles, page 1221, or on the screen behind me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Malini, for uh, reading the passage. And uh, as we come together in God's word, um, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may you quieten our hearts so that we can hear you loudly. Convict our hearts to follow your teaching. Speak through my mouth to build up your people for your kingdom. Amen. I'll ask that you um, keep your Bibles open uh, to that passage as we go through. Today we come to Galatians 5, one of my favourite passages in the Bible. It's my favourite because it's about freedom. Freedom that we have in Christ. Galatians chapter 1 to 4, Paul outlines what the gospel is and how we receive the gospel by faith alone, in Christ alone. It is through the promise, not the law. And it means to justify us so that we can be sons of God. In chapter 5, we reach the climax. What does it mean to have this gospel? And the answer is in verse 1 here. It is for freedom, for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is in fact our summary verse 
for today. The purpose of the gospel is to set us free. Christians should live and bask and thrive in the freedom that Christ gives. Freedom from the condemnation of sin, freedom from having to earn our righteousness, as we've learnt in previously in Galatians, and ultimately, as we'll study in the passage, freedom from desiring to continue to sin, freedom to actually love. It's a freedom so important that we are reminded by Paul here to stand firm in it, cherish it, grip it, hold on to it. Because Paul reminds us in that same verse that Christians can actually lose this freedom and as a result be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, be turned back from a free person to a slave again. A yoke, as pictured here, is a cuff, a cuff placed on a cow's neck, locking the cows to each other and locking them to the cart or the plough. There is no freedom when you're locked in. And let me share with you a real story. In the year 2000, David Potchen was imprisoned after being convicted of a bank robbery in Indiana. After 12 and a half years in jail, he was finally released as a free man. He quickly found accommodation in a motel and a job nearby, within walking distance, and shortly thereafter, he got laid off. He tried to look for a, a bit more work, and he was unsuccessful. He ran out of money, and he couldn't even afford his accommodation. And he became homeless, and he just sat in the woods for a night. He thought to himself, it's not good to be free. I'd rather be back in custody. At least then I will have some shelter. So the next day, he went to rob the Chase Bank. He pocketed slightly more than $1,000 in $5 and $10 notes. He then sat in the parking block outside the bank, waiting for the policeman to arrive so that he could be put back into custody. Real story. Potchen was someone who was set free but did not cherish his freedom. In fact, he was in such a mesh that he actually relinquished his freedom to become enslaved and imprisoned again. How sad is that? A free man yet desiring to be imprisoned. In the same way, Paul was worried the churches in Galatia are doing what Potchen did, once freed but becoming enslaved again. In the same way, God asks us today, are you truly free or are you still a slave? You may call yourself a Christian, after all, you're sitting in church, but are certain things still making you a slave? And what can those things actually be? This was the tension in the churches of Galatia, and this remains the tension and relevant for us today. In today's passage, Paul addresses this tension and gives advice on how we can actually stand firm, how to truly live 
as a free person and gives us three warnings, three don'ts. So let's look at these three don'ts so that we can stand firm in the freedom that Christ gives us. The first don't. Don't add anything to the gospel, verses 2 to 6. So in these verses, Paul addresses the pitfall of adding anything to the gospel. And in this case, it's circumcision. The context at that time is there was a belief that to become a Christian, you need to become a Jew first and to follow the Jewish customs first, which includes getting circumcised. This was taught by the Judaizers who were gained influence across these churches and the Mosaic law then became a requirement for salvation. This issue plagued the churches. It confused the Jews and the Gentiles how they can actually be saved. Paul deals with this in the most emphatic manner. Look at verse 2 in your Bible. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you. Paul speaks in super first person, as if with a loudspeaker. He speaks with conviction and assertion. Look, if you get this wrong, guys, you're out. Listen up. Verse 2. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. In other words, if you add circumcision to the gospel of Jesus, there is no gospel. And since it's the gospel which was giving you the freedom in the initial instance, if you lose the gospel, you'll lose your freedom. You follow Paul? You understand why he's so keen on getting this right? But hang on, you ask, look, is not circumcision one of the traditional laws? Wasn't these laws given to Moses? After all, Abraham was asked to actually do the first circumcision, wasn't he? Paul's response, the law cannot save man. And here's the reason why, look at verse 3. It's because one is obligated to obey the whole law then if you want to go that path. Not just some, not all, but all. Not today, but every day because you're obligated. It's not recommended, you're obligated You cannot even disobey even one. There's no room to slip. And for that reason, we all understand that it's impossible. Impossible. The law does not save. We know from other passages in the Bible, what is the intention of the law? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. This comes from Romans 3.20. It is intended to make us conscious of our sin. It was never intended to declare anyone righteous. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 22. But the scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe locked up everything under sin's control. So, i.e., there is no freedom through the law. John Stott actually summarizes this quite nicely. The function of the law was not to bestow salvation, but to convince men of the need 
of their need for it. The law was not never meant to free us, instead it just convinces us the only way to be freed is through the gospel, through faith in the gospel. Paul explains what what will happen then to those who try to do it this way. Look at verse 4. They are alienated from Christ. They have fallen from grace. And unlike those who are saved by the gospel, they cannot hope and eagerly await for the God's righteousness. In other words, just as verse 5 says, there is no salvation. There is no hope. There is no freedom. These are the ones to whom Jesus will say, look, I never knew you. These are the stray branches not attached to the vine, alienated and falling off, fruitless with no future. You see, when we add works to the gospel, it's like if someone hands you a $10 million check and if then you use a black pen and write cancelled over the $10 million mark, the check becomes useless. In the same way, God has given us the gospel, but if you write circumcision or your works over it, there is no, uh, no gospel. You've alienated yourselves. You've fallen from grace. You see, nothing can be added to the gospel, to God's finished work in Christ. As Christians, we can easily fall into this trap of believing that we can add to the gospel. Now, in those days, it was circumcision. What is it in our lives now? As a child, I remember asking myself, will I go to heaven? Well, look, I thought, I follow mum and dad to church. I have been baptised. I've read the Bible a few times. I serve. I don't drink or smoke. I don't go to clubs. In general, I try to be a good person. So as I start working then, you know, I have to work on Sundays. Hmm, my regular attendance is not so good. Hmm, I can't commit now to my ministry. So am I still saved? Paul warns us today, that's rubbish thinking. For it's the gospel which saves, not baptism, not having Christian family, not whether you attend church or whether you serve. It's not through your own works. And if you believe in the latter, you're trying to replace the gospel by your own works. And in effect, you lose the gospel. You disqualify yourself. Now, I look, now look around you all, in the congregation, look around you. If you had to guess, who do you think will be definitely saved? Who thinks it's John? Who thinks it's Michelle? If you think that, and you believe it is so because they're ministry workers, or because John preaches to you every week, and that they lead the Bible studies... Paul again says, rubbish. They are saved because they believe in the gospel, just like you and I. 
not because of their job titles, not because they can do this or do that, but because of their faith in Jesus. Get that wrong, we lose the whole thing, we lose our freedom. Because we can only truly be free through faith in Christ. Look at verse 6, that's exactly what it says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's faith that counts, not works. Indeed, it will free us to love, and we will delve into this in the latter part of the sermon. The question here is, are you truly free in Christ? Standing firm in faith alone, in Christ alone? Or are you still enslaved, trying to qualify your salvation through your own works, thinking I'm not too bad, thinking that I serve, I attend service. If you are, that is unfortunately very sad because you will remain enslaved. The second don't. Don't underestimate false teachers. Verse 7 to 12. Paul now cautions not only the false teaching, but the false teachers. Verse 7 to 12, he tells us that these guys or gals, they're very damaging. We need to get rid of them. They deserve their penalty. What are these teachers capable of? Verse 7 tells us, even when you're running a good race, yet these false teachers can cut in on you, keep you from obeying the truth. They make it impossible for you to continue on your spiritual journey. Have you watched speed ice skating in the Winter Olympics? These guys sort of going for the medal, crisscrossing each other around the rink. Quite often then, you see that even the leader who's right up the front be disqualified. Why? Because someone has tried to cut in through and as a result, he falls and he doesn't even finish the race. This is the similar sort of analogy. These people, they can cut in on you, disqualify you from the spiritual race, hijack you. Verse 8, these people are also very persuasive. They're likeable. They might even have a following. They certainly don't wear a badge, false teacher at church. Their message, flattering, sometimes dangerously deceitful. Paul makes it clear. These guys are not from God. Verse 8, this kind of persuasion is not from the Lord, the one who calls us. These people have maximum impact, though there is only just very few of them. Verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You see, when bread is baked, it's that little bit of particles called yeast which actually expand and rise and cause these pockets and bubbles. Now, I don't bake it very often, but I googled and yeast only accounts for 1% to 2% of the flour weight, yet it can cause the entire dough to rise. And verse 10, as a result, they throw congregations and Christians and people 
into confusion. Paul encourages the church by being confident that the Galatian church won't fall for this sort of nonsense. Verse 10, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. He then rebukes and he rejects these false teachers. Look at what he says. They will be punished. They will take the penalty, verse 10. Because if these teachings are to be believed, verse 11, the offence of the cross will be abolished. In fact, Paul goes out cursing these people. There's a play on words. He says, look, these guys should not only just be circumcised, i.e. cut around, the word means cut around, they should be emasculated, i.e. cut completely, castrated. They should go the whole way and just cut these people off. Do you appreciate Paul's conviction? Paul's conviction on getting the gospel right, getting rid of these deceivers, these false teachers, though they are only just a small percentage, but weeding them out. Throughout history, these teachers have been the basis of cults. Slight deviations, adding this, adding that, masses of people losing the gospel and their freedom. Churches crumble as a result. Even those who, which have long-standing histories and could actually be thriving. Do you see the gravity of that? Let us pray. Let us guard against such false teachings. Pray that we will stand firm, trusting only in faith in Jesus. Pray that this will never be amongst our own church leadership. That it will never infiltrate our presbytery, our Bible colleges, every church in the world. Because if this falsehood comes in and hits our leadership, it fractures the churches. It cuts in on growth. We need to stand firm together so that the gospel will be faithfully passed on generation after generation. And these false teachings have got to have no role in any churches. Paul then goes on to talk about the third don't. Don't abuse your freedom. Verse 13 to 15. When we don't heed to the first two don'ts, we lose the gospel. But if we don't heed to the third don't, we will abuse the gospel. The Galatians started to believe that they can do now whatever they want. Look, after all, you've told us, look, you know, you've called us to be free. Jesus has saved us. Then look, you know, we aren't saved by obeying rules. Does that mean that we can now have a license to do whatever we want? Look at verse 13. Including indulging in their flesh. Basking in that newfound freedom to indulge their flesh? Paul tells us this is not the case. Do not use your freedom, verse 13, to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly and in love. In other words, 
Christ freed you from sin, from condemnation. So why would you go back to sin? It's like sitting in clinic, telling a smoker, look, for goodness sake, you've only just recovered from a heart attack. Why are you now going back smoking? Rather, you should actually just cherish the life that you now have and maintain that healthy lifestyle by not smoking. But you see, in this passage, in these verses 13 to 15, Paul doesn't just go on to do that. Paul actually continues to remind that there's actually much more than choosing not to indulge in the flesh. Freedom in Christ gives us the freedom to choose to not dwell in sin, but rather to love. Look at what the Bible teaches here. But we are called to be free, verse 13. And with this freedom, if it's properly used and not abused, it's like a weight will be lifted off. We're no longer attached to the law. We can now serve and love. Verse 6, our faith will express itself in love. Do you see that? Verse 14, such that we will love our neighbour as ourselves. Verse 15, such that we will not bite, devour or destroy each other. The question for us is, are we using this freedom or are we abusing our freedom? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This true freedom is when we realise and acknowledge that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. So there's no other way. So we cannot save ourselves, right? So we stand firm in that gospel. For it's the only thing that we can stand firm in. And this gospel gives us the heart, a heart to respond to the heart of Jesus. To respond to the heart of God who died for us. We're prompted then by the Spirit. Verse 5. We eagerly await to be completely right with God. We yearn to serve Him, to love Him, to love His people. We learn to say we rather than me. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. It spurs us towards love. Now if you think about it, Loving your neighbour, it's almost like the hardest thing, isn't it? As yourself. In fact, it's so hard that in verse 14, Paul says, look, you know, if you're able to do that, you've actually fulfilled the law. But it becomes achievable. We are able to love because we are free. No longer shackled to loving and thinking only about ourselves no longer shackled to only satisfying our own natural desires of flesh, we want to love our neighbour as ourselves. So what is true freedom like? I'll let you think about this. True freedom allows us to pray for our neighbour about finding a job just as we are trying to find our jobs ourselves. Allows us to find and move their houses and cook their meals just as we are finding and moving our houses and cooking for ourselves. 
allows us to look after their kids just as we would look after ours. allows us to uphold their best interest, even if it was above our own. It allows us to celebrate others' achievements just as we would our own achievements. It allows us to be compassionate, to empathise, for the gospel humbles us. True freedom is when we can truly forgive those who have hurt us. Free to forgive even when they are our enemies. Free to reconcile and have a desire for reconciliation. You see, true freedom gives us love for his people, for his church, for God himself. Is that a description of you? Are you truly free in Christ? Free from the bondage of sin, but rather humble and free to love? In contrast, if you're one who abuses the freedom given, we will sadly remain in slavery. We cannot serve God. We will not know His ways. We're not led to His heart. We cannot please Him. We cannot serve His people. We mistake freedom. We will mistake freedom as what the world sees as freedom, to do whatever I want at any old time, just as the pop song celebrates. In fact, the world does it such that we wish to even be free from criticism from the wrong thing, so that we can completely do whatever we want without shame, feeling justified to do so. But by doing so, do you see how we then become enslaved again? Enslaved to our own lusts, our own flesh. It's not real freedom. It's called addiction to sin. Are you keen to use your freedom and not abuse it? Are you thriving in the freedom given to us by Christ? Are you still burdened by a yoke of slavery, just like the cow, shackled to your own sinful self? Now let me tell you what happened to David Potchum. The police arrested him and he appeared in front of the judge. The judge said, in my lifetime, I've had occasion to run into a lot of homeless people, but I don't recall ever meeting face-to-face -face a hopeless person. To me, someone who would give up on freedom, it's just shocking. The judge, though, did not throw him into prison. Instead, he let him go with these words. He said, you're a free man. Please learn to live like a free man. And he did. A Christian man actually gave him a job, and this is him, dressed up in his work clothes as a welder. Look at the difference. A criminal, now a welder. Jesus reminds us in John 8, 34 to 36, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. In other words, sin enslaves us. Jesus sets us free. He's the only one through faith in him that we can actually love and desire not to continue in sin, that we can be freed from our condemnation. Do you believe it? Are you determined, like verse 1, to stand firmly on this as a free person? For it is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Jesus, the one who sets us free, free from continuing in sin, free from the condemnation of sin. Lord, may we never add to your gospel. May we never be deceived by false teachers and may we never abuse your gospel but rather live as truly free people in you, guided by your Spirit in humility and in love. Amen.